Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 15 and 7. Watch what Paul says right here. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now that you've been adopted, we call him Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm, that's the word we preached on last week, that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in God's glory or in his glory, we must also share his sufferings. You see, when I used to read this, I'd want to leave out that last sentence. You know what I'm saying? I want some glory without some suffering. It's like I want a cheeseburger with no onions, right? Why? Because that's the way I like it. I like glory with no suffering. Come on, somebody, get real this morning. How many of you say, I like the glory of God with no suffering? You can, put that, you can keep the suffering. Keep that off to the side. I don't want none of that. But the reality is you can't read all of these verses and not apply that part to it also, that if you're going to share in his glory, you're going to share in the good things of God, then you're also going to share in some of the suffering. It's important for you to know that because you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer abandonment from time to time. You're going to suffer rejection. You're going to suffer abuse. You're going to suffer people talking about you. You're going to suffer people uh, doing bad things to you. You're going to suffer from all kinds of different things. And you need to be prepared for it. Not just aware of it, but you need to be prepared for it. So that when somebody or something comes against you, you don't need to freak out. Why? Because you're already prepared for it. Amen? You don't need to drive around your life with no spare tire. Like if you get a flat tire, you're going, oh, shoot, that's the end. I didn't bring the spare. You need to prepare yourself. Amen. You need to prepare yourself that you're going to suffer. So I'm going to leave that part alone. I, I, I did my due diligence. I tackled the last verse. You understand it now, right? So, so watch what Paul's saying here. He says, you haven't been given a spirit of slavery. The spirit that God has given us does not make us fearful. It's not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. And so the title of my message today is Rest for Your Souls. Because our souls need to rest in this thing. Not sleep, not slumber, not get lethargic. Your soul needs to find rest in these verses right here. Your soul needs to find rest in the fact that God has adopted you as his children. You should rest in that. Come on. You need to find rest in the fact that you've been adopted into God's family. And in Paul saying, you haven't been given a spirit of slavery or a spirit of fear You've been given a spirit of adoption. It's, it's you've been adopted, so you shouldn't be afraid anymore. You shouldn't think of yourself as a slave anymore. You're not a slave. You shouldn't be afraid. Come on. You should rest in the fact that I've been adopted into God's family. This is where I belong. This is where I'm going to find rest for my soul. How many of you can say, Pastor, I can show you some peace? I can show you some peace in some different areas of my life. I can sure use peace when it comes to this. I could use some peace with that. I got, I'd really love to find some rest. My soul's tired. It's time to find some rest this morning. Come on, somebody. 
He gives us a spirit that calls us his sons and daughters. Not a spirit that calls us slaves. I'm going to wear this out today. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to wear it out because I want you to walk out of here today knowing that you're adopted into God's family. Not into his slavery program. You haven't become a slave that you need to be afraid. You see, because slaves are afraid of their masters. They're afraid because the master controls their life in such a way that, that they never know what's going to change. They never know what's going to be uprooted. They never know what's going to abruptly happen in their life. That's not the spirit that God's giving you. That's a spirit of slavery. When you're restless and you don't know how to live and you can't relax and you can't rest and find rest for your soul because you're so tormented by what you think might happen. You know, most of us live in fear of what might happen, not of what actually happened. I'm the kind of guy, if, if you think, if you're one of these half-empty kind of people that you think, you know, you always think the worst, oh my God, this can happen, and that can happen. I'm the kind of guy that thinks the best. Well, this is an opportunity for God to show up. He's going to bring some, I wonder where he's going to bring the provision this time. So we might rub each other a little raw. Right? It all comes from your perspective. It all comes from your, you being solid in your relationship with God. You see, what we got to understand is God didn't adopt us just to bring us out of something bad. He adopted you to bring you into something incredible. He didn't just come and rescue you and put you in a shelter to barely survive. God rescued you to bring you into his family and and to make you one of his sons and daughters so that you could enjoy what? His blessings. You can enjoy his good life. He didn't save you to spare you from destruction. He saved you to give you new life. And Christians should live like they have new life. Come on. You let the old man die, the new man has come. Cut the chain. Let the brother stay at the grave. Stop dragging the old dead man around. (laughs) You shouldn't be a fearful slave. You've been adopted into God's house, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, what that looks like. This, This portion of Scripture is big because Paul... Paul starts talking about adoption and he's talking to a bunch of Romans and and Paul uses their own process of adoption to describe to them how we come into God's family. So watch this. If you don't understand the process God used to adopt you, then you won't appreciate who you really are in relationship to God. You got to make the cross, you got to make the grave, and you got to make the resurrection still alive to you today. It didn't happen over 2,000 years ago, and that was it. It still applies to your life today, right? It's, it's something that God still does today. He still saves people today. He still, he still pulls them out of darkness and spiritual death into spiritual life and light. It still works today. We got to get this. Paul described the, the adoption process by which God adopts us into his family to the Romans by using their own process of adoption. So let's look at the Roman process of adoption. 
In the Roman Empire, the father possessed absolute power and authority over the son. So in the Roman, in the Roman times, in that, in that culture, the father was the absolute authority and the power over, let's just use a son, for example, but it applies to daughters too. He was the absolute power and authority over that son until the father died. It wasn't when the son became 18. We, we live with this mindset, well, you get 18, you your own man, good luck. <laughs> Come on. It wasn't like that. The father possessed absolute authority and power over the son until the father died. Which, which, which made the, the adoption process even harder. So what would happen is, is the practice was this, that, they would, that they, would, they would do two steps to an adoption process. It was very difficult. They would, they would have a symbolic sale of the son to the new parents, and then they'd have a ceremonial adoption where the new parents would go and get the rights to the son. So the first step is called the symbolic sale. And they would use copper and scales to, to symbolically sell the son. The father, the birthright father, would sell the son three times. He would sell him, and then he would buy him back. And then he would sell him, and then he would buy him back. And the third time, he would sell his son, but he wouldn't buy him back. And when that happened, it broke that power and authority he had over that son. When the father chose not to buy the son back... He lost the power and the authority over the son. It was called the, the patria potestas is what it was called in Roman times, if that means anything to you. But that's what it was that was broken when the father sold the son the third time but didn't buy him back. Then came the ceremonial adoption. And this is when the adopting father would go to the praetor, a Roman magistrate, and present a legal case to transfer the, the, the patria potestas, the power he was trying to transfer, transfer the power and authority that the birthright father had that he sold and gave away over to himself. You see in this? Don't look at me confused. You see it? So the birthright father would sell him three times, buy him back twice. The third time he wouldn't buy him back. His power and authority was broken over that son. The son now was no longer under that father's power and authority. Then the adopting father would come in, and by legal rights, he would adopt the new son into his family and take power and authority over the new son. Now, does it make sense? Okay. <laughs> that was the process of adoption. So think about the son for a minute. At first, the son was under this father's power and authority. And then when that father didn't, didn't buy him back, he, he came under this new father's power and authority. And there's a lot that goes on between there, and that's what we're going to talk about real quick, because there's some consequences of adoption. Number one, the adopted person lost all rights in his old family and gained all rights of, the, of a legitimate son in his new family. Now watch this. He lost all the rights he had from his birth father, and when he was adopted, he gained all rights as if he was a birth son. Even though he was adopted, just because he was adopted didn't mean that he lost anything. Didn't mean that he didn't get a portion like a, a blood-born a blood son got. He, he got every right, he got everything that a, a, a blood-born son would have. You see it? So when he came into the new family, he got all rights to everything. You need to understand this because it's important. 
He had legal right to be in that family. He had legal right to be in that family. He lost rights to the old family, gained rights to the new family. He would have had no fear of being rejected by his new family. Verse 15 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. In other words, the spirit cries out, my father has gone through the legal process to secure my place in the family. God went through the legal process to adopt you as a son or a daughter. And now that you've been adopted, you have all rights as if you were his blood-born son. Come on. You lost rights to the old family. And you've gained new rights, complete rights, all rights to the new family. Say all rights. You've been given all rights to the new family. The father thought it, but Jesus bought it is what happened. You got a brand new home. You don't have to be afraid to go back. Say, I got a brand new home. The second consequence was that in law, the former life of the adopted person was canceled. If the adopted son had debts, charges, if he had anything against him, if he owed anything, it was all paid for. <laughs> Say, my debt's been paid. You see, before you met Jesus, you owed the devil. Your debt's been paid. When, when God adopted you into his family, your debt was paid. Your, your charges against you were dropped. Come on. When you got brought into the new family, your past life was taken care of. <laughs> you got to get this this morning because some of you still carrying around your past life. You're still letting your past life dictate your new life. Some of you can't enjoy the present life with God because you're worried about the past life. You're not forgiving people because it hurts too bad, so you're still living in the old life. Mm-hmm. Well, shout me down when I'm preaching. You can't live in the old life and the new life at the same time. It, that's, that's flicted. So <laughs> where we used to use in junior high. I think they just rushed back in my mind. It's flicted. In other words, it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. You can't live with one foot in a dead life and another foot in a new life. You follow me? You got to let go of one or the other. If you don't let go of the old life and you don't accept what God did for you, then you're going to live in that past and it's eventually going to affect the new life. You seeing this? How many of you say, I want to enjoy the new life? Okay, five of you. Great. I really want to enjoy this new life. I don't want to live in the past anymore. Well, can you accept the fact that God paid for your past? Think about your past for a moment. Think about it. And then think this. It's paid for. Some of you ought to be running around the church dancing, screaming, and hollering because you got a past. You don't have to pay for your past. 
You see, when the adopting father adopts you into his family, you don't have to pay for the past. Stop beating yourself up. Stop trying to pay for it. My wife got in an argument with a a, a doctor's office one time because she she swore we didn't pay a bill and they said we did. And so she's arguing with them on the phone. And I come in and I'm like, take the money. If they say it's paid, it's paid, baby. And she swears to this day it wasn't paid, but hey, God paid it, right? Let it be. Move on, right? Stop trying to give people the treasures from your new life to pay off something in your old life. Amen? Accept what's been done, live in it, rest in it, and enjoy it. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this. Listen to this verse. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Say, Jesus paid it all. I wish I had a a, a Baptist keyboard player up here because we bust up in some Jesus paid it all right now. I'm telling you. I feel my roots, man. I feel that song's just in my roots right now. My inner Baptist is trying to, let me stop. <laughs> the other consequence of adoption is there were seven witnesses there. When the, when the ceremonial adoption happened, there were seven witnesses there to, to, to watch what happened, to make sure that the, 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 the ceremonial process, the adoption process was legitimate. Seven people would stand there and watch the process. So that way, if anything happened to the father and there was a dispute over inheritance, one of those witnesses would step forward and say, no, I was there when he was adopted. He has full legal rights to his inheritance. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When the enemy accuses you and he tries to convince you that you don't have any rights into God's glory, any rights to God's kingdom, any rights to God's goodness, the Holy Spirit goes, no, that's a lie. I was there. I witnessed the whole thing. He's been legitimately adopted into God's family. It all belongs to him. Amen? It all, thank God we have the Holy Spirit, right? Verse 16 says that his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I go, man, this is awesome. I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. The Holy Spirit is telling my spirit, hey, you're a child of God. When temptation comes, I hear the Holy Spirit telling my spirit, you're a child of God. You don't need to go there. That was You you needed to go there before you were adopted, but you don't need to go there anymore because you don't belong there. I hear the Holy Spirit affirming my spirit, saying, you're a child of God. When I fall, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, come on, get back up. You're a child of God. Get back up. Come on, let Jesus dust that off of you. (laughs) I'm more excited than you are. Affirm means this. This is the word affirm literally means this. It's a state It's to state as a fact, to assert strongly and publicly, to declare, to state, to assert, to proclaim, to swear, to guarantee. The Holy Spirit has sworn you in. (laughs) 
The fourth consequence is we're heirs. We become heirs. And I'll be honest with you, of all the four, this one probably gets me the most. When, when, I, when I first read this, I went, man, that's great. I, don't, I haven't been given a spirit of fear. Okay, so I don't need to fear anymore. I've been adopted. Oh, wow, I've been adopted. Great. My consequences have been paid for. My debt's been paid for. Oh, awesome. But God is so good to us that he doesn't just leave us right there. How many of you would say, that's plenty? If somebody would come and pay all your debts off, would you say, oh, man, thank you so much? I mean, not many of us, not many of us, because I know some of you, not many of us would say, hey, can I have a little more after somebody just paid your debts off? Don't raise your hand. He didn't give me a spirit of fear, gave me a spirit of adoption, brought me into his family, paid my debts, and this is where it hits me hard. And now he calls me an heir. I didn't ask for it. You see, when you're adopted into God's family, you don't ask for it. He gives it to you. You don't beg. He didn't adopt you to be a beggar. He adopted you to be an asker or a receiver. Amen? Or a taker. It's yours. Take it, baby. My kids don't have to ask for snacks in the, in the pantry. I got to ask for snacks. I got to ask, please, will you leave at least one little Debbie for daddy? Please. They see the snacks come in. They take the snacks. They eat it and it don't stick to their hips. Verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. The, the New King James Version says we've become joint heirs with Christ. He don't have to do that, y'all. He didn't have to do that. But he did. And he wants you to enjoy it. Come on. He made you equal to Jesus. But see, if you're religious, you can't wrap your mind around that because Jesus is way up here and you're some little slave and you got to do right and be right to get anything good from God. That's a lie from hell. The reality is, is Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sin, paid for your past so that you could be adopted into his family so that y'all could be joint heirs. Everything that Jesus has access to, every one of us has access to. Come on, it is ours. Say it's mine. That's the one time you can say that and not get in trouble. It's been given to you. You seeing it? This means that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. Listen to what Peter said in, in 1 Peter 1.4. He said this, And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. A priceless inheritance. We live in such a microwave society that we want the good things now. 
And we so bad want them now that we forget about what's coming to us later. Amen? A priceless inheritance. Streets of gold. No mosquitoes. No humidity. Your fishing pole don't backlash. The fish always bite. The ducks always die. The deer always die. The dresses are always on sale. It's a wonderful life. It's an inheritance. I had to meet you where you at. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's some of the consequences is, is we've, been, we've been given rights into this new family. And, and our past has been paid for. Our debt's been canceled. There's the Holy Spirit who witnessed the whole thing and he affirms us. And then we're heirs with Christ. Come on, you getting this this morning? Man, you're an heir with Christ. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. So we've not been given a spirit of fear. Let me, let me tackle this real quick, then I'm going to wrap it up. There's four common fears that, that most of us have dealt with. And I want to talk about them this morning. Fear number one is the fear of abandonment. It usually shows up with loneliness, depression, and isolation. Our cure for the fear of abandonment is to hold too tightly to people and obsessively to people. What happens is, is when you're afraid to be abandoned, you hang on to relationships so much that you choke other people out. People start looking for ways to get away from you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make any fun about that. It's the fear of abandonment. You're so afraid of somebody leaving you that you do the very thing that drives them away. It's because you're afraid of abandonment. You're afraid to be left alone. And some of you were abandoned as a child. Some of you were given up. Some of you were left to the side. And you have been abandoned at times, but you've now been given a spirit of adoption. You're not a fearful slave. You've been brought into the family. Come on, somebody, the family. It's like a a woman who's been physically abused, and, and you know her, and you're going, get out. But she won't get out. Why won't she leave? Because she's afraid to be lonely. She's afraid to be by herself. She has a fear of abandonment. God's cure for that is that we recognize that we're sons and daughters and he holds tightly to us and he will never abandon us. I've been serving God faithfully for about 20 years now and he has not ever left me. He's not ever abandoned me. And he's not going to. Why? Because I've been legally adopted into his family. I have rights. I belong. I walk in. I have a bedroom. I have a table at the chair, a chair at the table. I got fork, a spoon, and a plate with my name on it. Come on, somebody. Right? He's not going to abandon me. I don't have that fear anymore because I'm not, I know other people will abandon me. I know man will abandon me at times, but listen to me, God won't abandon me. So I'm not going to put all this pressure on people to fulfill this thing in my life. Instead, I'm going to put the pressure on God and the fact that he adopted me and he's going to father me. I'm going to put the pressure on him and people can do what they want. But I'm secure because me and God are good. Amen? The second fear is fear of failure. 
It can show up sometimes as being afraid of embarrassment or shame or degradation. We try, our cure is that we try to, we avoid trying. (laughs) Some of you won't try. Some of you won't use your talent, your skill, your gift because you're afraid to fail. Or we obsessively compete with everybody. (laughs) You all know somebody like that, right? You can't, if you're sitting down talking to them and you share a story, then they got a better story. You're like, dude, can I just share my story and you leave it alone? It's the fear of failure. You won't try. You won't do something new. You won't step into something that's uncomfortable because you're afraid to be embarrassed. You're afraid of shame. You're afraid of degradation. I wonder how many people today aren't stepping into their gifts and talents because they're afraid of failure. I know people that can sing that are afraid to sing because they're afraid of failure. People that can speak with a microphone, but they're afraid to speak with a microphone. I think, man, what if Billy Graham would have been afraid to speak with a microphone and never stepped into what Billy Graham was supposed to step into? Where would the world be today? I wonder how many Billy Grahams are still sitting there afraid to try. God's cure is to recognize that God is for you and not against you. Trust in his unchanging character and his promises. Here's the deal. The other side of your fear lies your future. Your future is just on the other side of your fear. What are you afraid of? The third fear is the fear of exposure. Shame, rejection, unworthiness. Our cure is to avoid any situation or people that might expose us. (laughs) We won't connect with other people in fear that they might find out who we really are. It's living behind a facade while keeping distance from others in situations. You ever notice some people you can only get so close to them? And you you might start thinking, well, what's wrong with me? I mean, golly, maybe we just don't get along. And and they just just seem to be unfriendly. They'll let you in a little bit, but they won't let you come too far, too close. Why? Because they're afraid you're going to find out who they really are. Newsflash. God knows your nakedness. He knows you at your worst. He knows your deepest, darkest secret. Yet he still loves you. Get you some of that. You're afraid to be exposed. You're afraid to, to, to let people know who you really are. But the reality is, is God already knows who you really are. And what's funny is most people can tell you're hiding something. People that won't let you in, you go, what they hiding? So then what happens is you end up leaving what you're hiding up to their imagination. Come on, <laughs> Right? The fourth one is the fear of death. This one's real. I mean, like, this one hits you in the face. It's, it's the fear of death. It's, it's, it's the loss of things we cherish. <laughs> this, I just got this revelation about, about a month ago. We're afraid of death. You know why? Because we've never died before. We've never died before, so we're afraid of death. But you know, if you put death in its proper perspective, it can change how you face death. I 
Our cure is to do everything possible to prolong life and to avoid death. God's cure is to recognize that death is the doorway to eternal life. Think about that. Just change your mind about death for a second. It's not the end of something. It's the beginning of something. We're all going to die. The Bible's very clear. Every one of us will die. It's a doorway into my eternal life. Come on. Yes, I'm leaving loved ones behind, but praise God, if I did what I'm supposed to do, they should be saved, solid in their relationship with God, and we're going to meet up again. I just get to go first. Come on. <laughs> well, hopefully not me. I mean, I, I don't want to go before Cheryl. I want to go with Cheryl. We're going to go together at, at 99. If my knees are still good. She'll push me. Oh, she'll push me, all right. Death is a doorway to eternal life. Nothing can separate us. Listen to that. Nothing can separate us from God's love. How do we deal with this fear? Three things, and I'll wrap it up. You need to get honest about your fear. You need to get real honest about your fear. The first thing you need to do is you need to name your fear. You need to name it. What are you afraid of? Name that fear. And when you name it, then you can begin to tame it. Make sense? Name that fear. Stop thinking that you don't have fear. That's fear of exposure. I can't admit that I have fear because then people might know that I have fear. That's fear of exposure. Hello? (laughs) If you can't define it, you can't defeat it. Number two, weigh your fears. Matt Chandler said this. He said, be careful what, what value you give certain things. The more value you give those things, the more that fear and anxiety will rule those things. So if you hold too tightly to things you were never intended to hold too tightly to, fear and anxiety will dominate your life. Weigh your fears. Put them out there. This is my fear. This is how much weight it brings in my life. Weigh it. And then when you weigh it, make sure it's decreasing. Lighten it up. Lighten up the fear. And then number three, redirect your fear. Fear is misplaced faith. You got to believe this message right here today. That God has adopted you into his family. And he will never ever, ever abandon you. So let me ask you a question. Can you receive that today? Come on, can, can you just like, like get it? Like, you know what? It's, man, I've been, I've been literally, like literally, legally adopted into God's family. The moment I surrendered my life to Jesus and what he did on the cross, and I asked him to save my life and confessed and repented of my sin, the Bible says that I'm, I'm now made right with God. That's the legal adoption. I've become a member of his family. I got my own bedroom. My own closet. Come on. You remember the story of the prodigal son? You remember the prodigal son leaves, he comes back home. At the beginning of the story, the father divides his inheritance to both sons, right? It's going to be all right. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) 
But you remember the story where the father divides the inheritance between the two, right? And then the, the younger son, he, he takes off, wasted all. The, the older son stayed. The younger son comes back. The father wants to throw a big party. What happens to the older son? You see, the story is about the younger son, but it's also about the older son. The older son couldn't appreciate his brother coming back because he didn't accept the fact that he was an heir. He didn't receive what he was given. He didn't, he didn't accept the fact that his, his father still loved him and he still belonged to the family. He got mad. He got angry. Too many Christians today live frustrated because we don't feel like we belong. Make sense? We feel like we don't belong. Jesus died for every one of us. Those of you who have nice hair and those of us who have no hair. He died for every one of us.